choosing the podcast of LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's Spirit to engage in His redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve Him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. Okay, let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to have to talk longer and louder today. I can tell you're asleep. But if you start laughing at my jokes, I'll shorten it and quieten it. Sarcasm has the opposite effect. We're in a series titled Worship to Witness. And in this series, we're looking at how all-field worship of Jesus as God's promised Messiah moves us to a faithful witness in the world. And we've been working through the four titles of God's promised Messiah as given to us in Isaiah 9-6. Let's look at what these are. Isaiah records, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Working through these four titles, we began with Wonderful Counselor, and we saw how the counsel of our eternal, majestic uh, God is wonderful, is all-filling for us, and is perfect in its wisdom to us. And then we looked at how this promised Messiah as mighty God would be an, an, a, a, a conquering warrior for us, for all of the battles and the struggles of this life, and ultimately for the greatest struggle, the battle for our very soul. And today we come to the title of Everlasting Father. You see, the titles, here's what I love about this uh, progression of titles, is that the titles for Jesus as God's promised Messiah reveal an increasing glory as they moved from this grand supremacy, a wonderful counselor, it's like the council of the ages we see, and then this mighty God who fights for us, but it moves from this grand supremacy to this close personal intimacy. That's where we find ourselves today with Everlasting Father. God is with us. That's the message of Christmas, friends. That's Emmanuel. And He is with us as He has been promised to us. And today we're going to look at Jesus as Everlasting Father. Here's the big idea that I want you to walk away with today. I want to give it to you really in two ways. And Sunshine, would you go ahead and put it up on the screen? I want you to see that today Jesus is the everlasting Father who leads us in perfect love for eternal glory. 
Jesus is the everlasting Father who leads us in perfect love for eternal glory. And I want you to see from this that Christians bear a faithful witness of Jesus when we live in His perfect love, when we rejoice in His perfect provision, and when we walk in His perfect rule. And so we're going to transfer this awe of everlasting Father into the daily understanding of walking with him. Let's begin as we have each week in just looking at the words of the title. First of all, the word everlasting. This promised Messiah is one who is eternal without reference to time. Eternal. He has no reference point to time other than he created it and put it into order. Isaiah in chapter 57 goes on to say simply of him, he who lives forever. Forever. I love this aspect and I want you to get this as we begin today. God is eternal. God is eternal. Listen, friends, of all of the comparison of religions made in the world today, none can stand beside Jehovah God in this way because they were all created at some point and began within time. But our God, who transcends time because He is eternal, stands in this way. God is eternal. He has always been. When you read the first three words of the Hebrew language in Genesis chapter 1, 1, it begins in this way. Barashith bara Elohim. That's what it says. Now, now I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I just memorized those words at one point. And every now and then I use them to make you think that. But what Moses says in those opening words of Genesis is not to say, when it all began, God. That's not what he's saying. But he infers this. He infers that God who is eternal and has always been from all eternity past exists. And I don't fully understand or comprehend that, but I've got to begin telling you a story about him. And so I need to begin somewhere. And so in the midst of eternity, I'm going to begin to reveal to you from the beginning. So in other words, he says, I don't know exactly how to say this, but to begin with, God. In other words, in the first three words of the whole Bible, this eternal nature of God is expressed and confessed as true. The Bible begins with Moses speaking from within time of God's essence as the one who is eternally existence. Not only does eternal mean he has always been, but it means he is. He is. I love when Moses in Exodus 3, 4 goes to, um, or or, or, uh, God comes to Moses rather at the burning bush and God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, the the mightiest man in all the land, the most powerful ruler that's ever been in the world. And I'm going to tell you to tell him to let my people go. You say, well, would that be a big problem? Probably so, because at that time, the, the Hebrew people were roughly... Two million in size as an estimate, and they were the economic workforce of Egypt. That was free for Egypt, you might say. They were slaves. So, yeah, that's going to cause a problem for the supreme ruler of Egypt, right? And Moses said, that's a great idea, God. 
Who am I supposed to tell him that is sending me? And you know what God says? Aha, aha. That's what he says. I am who I am. That's what he tells him. God says, I am. Because all things that are measured in the presence are measured against the one who defines all reality. That's God. Aha. It's an aha kind of moment. That's what it's all about, is that God is the one who defines the presence of all reality. And then the third aspect of God being eternal is not only has He always been, and He is, but He forevermore shall be. Psalm 90 in verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, again, the psalmist is trying to capture eternity and says, however far eternity goes that way and however far it could travel in that way, God. That's what he says. You've always been God. You've never not been God and you always will be God. This is the one that we're speaking of today. He says in chapter 45 and verse 6, your throne, O God, will last forever and forever. For this God is our God forever and ever. Chapter 48 and verse 14. You see, God is eternal. His work and the things that he's doing are the same as his being. And so when we come to this aspect, this title of the promised Messiah who is everlasting, we see that eternal, this everlasting sets Christ apart and establishes an incomparable value and an unmatched quality that is completely unrivaled. Listen, friends, of all the things we talk about today, I'm going to keep bringing you back to this, that we can be confident in Jesus because he has stood the test of time. He is competent as Savior because he is beyond time. He is eternal and he is Father. Now, this title of Father, we need to be careful that we don't confuse it for the role of the Heavenly Father in relationship to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But what the promise is saying here is not that the Father, the one who is the Father in the Trinity, will come, but rather in the way the Messiah will rule, will be as a Father. And so instead of a position, the title more denotes the way in which Christ's rule will come about and will function. You see, Jesus will rule as a loving father in order to lead God's children. And so we see this aspect of everlasting father and that Jesus is the everlasting father who will hold authority for all who are in his rule and his reign, and ultimately for all who are in his kingdom. I, I want to take just a moment to look at uh, some functions of the Father that are set forth in Scripture. And I think this is important for us. It's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, it helps us as fathers understand what biblically our function or our role in this world is all about. But it's also going to help us understand how it is that Jesus as the Messiah will rule in his kingdom. And so I'm going to spend just a, a moment on each of these. There are 11 of them, and I'm going to move quickly through them 
But I want you to stay with me as we bring this back around to Jesus and show how he is the perfect fulfillment as everlasting father. First of all, the Bible tells us that as a father, that first function is the one of protector and provider. A father to the poor and to the needy. Job 29, 16 says, I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not No, you see, a father protects and provides, first of all, for his immediate family of um, who he immediately serves that role for uh, because he's responsible, but also uh, in a larger scope to any that are found in need as he is able. This protection and this provision flow naturally out of a life of sacrifice and a life of serving rather than a life of self-serving motives. And so that first function of father is that it's one who protects and one who provides. The second is the role or the function of advisor. We see this in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 8 where he says he became a father to Pharaoh as he explains his relationship to Pharaoh uh, to his brothers. He says this, it was not you who sent me here, speaking of his brothers who sold him into slavery, which ended up getting him to Egypt. But what has he done? He's lifted the circumstances of his life and understanding them beyond just an earthly perspective to a heavenly, eternal perspective. And he said, look, I know you sold me as a slave, but you're not the one that brought me here. God put me in prison in Egypt twice so he could bring me back to this place and so I could be a father to Pharaoh, and he goes on to explain that to him. You see, and what Joseph did to Pharaoh was he became the first advisor, the chief advisor to Pharaoh, and that's what a faithful father does. He provides wise counsel. Sometimes it means giving the right answers, and at other times it means giving the right information so the one seeking that answer can discover for themselves. But a wise counselor, an advisor, a faithful father provides us. At the heart of a father's counsel is always the enrichment, the growth, and the maturity of the one receiving the counsel. The third function of a father is that of defender of the helpless. A father to the fatherless, a father to the poor, a father to the afflicted. Listen to the psalmist. In chapter 68, verse 5, when he says, A father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So this is a very familiar concept of understanding God. Proverbs 22, verses 22 and 23 says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will please their cause and rob of life those who rob them. In other words, those who are poor, who are afflicted, who are fatherless, and who are needy, God's got their back. That's the kind of God that He is. You see, a father's heart holds an inclination to help those who are helpless. Whether they're his own or not, it is the inclination of a faithful father to defend the helpless in their situation. The fourth function of a father is compassionate. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion 
to those who fear him. You see, compassion is an inward unction that is demonstrated through outward acts of kindness and forgiveness. We see this in the life of Jesus when the Gospels tells us that he looked on the crowds, people that as a man he did not know each of them personally, and yet he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. A faithful father looks on those who are, shall we say, leaderless in their life in some capacity or the other. Directionless, maybe. And he has compassion. And that compassion is an inward unction that moves to an outward expression of some kind of kindness, of some kind of forgiveness, of some kind of generosity. And so a father leads by demonstrating this forgiveness, by demonstrating this kindness, first of all, to his family and for his family, but also beyond his family. He's not perfect, but he's committed to humility and living out of that humility. That's what it means for a father to be compassionate. The fifth function is that of the father-son relationship. The Lord uses the relationship of father and son to describe how he will relate to King David. Listen to 2 Samuel 7, 14. He says, I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. And so as God describes the relationship that he will have with David, he uses the father-son analogy, this relationship, to understand how he will relate. And then he goes on in Psalm 89, 26 to say this, He shall cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. So in other words, there is this relationship, this understanding, this interaction that is going on that's very intimate between these two. And what a faithful father does is he orients himself relationally in this way. He doesn't just remain distant, but he, he, he cannot hold the same level of relationship with every person, obviously, but to those, first of all, who are given to his family care and responsibility, and then in regards to the greater people that he comes into contact with, he orients himself in such a way to be open, to be uh, vulnerable, you might say, and to be uh, accessible. He relates with a sense of deeper responsibility that demonstrates the compassion, the care, and the concern that he feels in his heart. The sixth function of a father is that he teaches and he instructs teaches and he instructs. Proverbs 1.8 says this, hear my son your father's instruction. So the, the book of wisdom in the Old Testament begins by using this relationship of father to son and how the instruction will take place. He goes on in chapter 6 to say, my son keep your father's commandment, keep that teaching. And 13.1 reiterates in the book of Proverbs, a wise son hears his father's instructions. You see, a faithful father instructs, he commands, and he teaches as a natural expression of his heart. Of his heart for his children, but also of his heart for others. I remember growing up, there was a, a man in our church. His name was Bo Tissue. He was the father of one of my best friends growing up. He was a deacon. So you got the pastor's kid and the deacon's kids. We know that's a bad chemical mix, right? We retired more teachers than Social Security could ever dream of. You know, I mean, we were hard on people. 
But Bo, Bo knew. Some of you are too young to get that one. I mean, Bo was affectionately known as our Andy Taylor. Because every time something happened, Bo had a story to teach a lesson. And he'd sit us down and he goes, now boys, sit down here. And we knew the lesson was coming. And so he would teach us this lesson and at the end, he would make his point. And he would give his instruction. And man, he was so nice about that. I thought, man, I wish, I wish sometimes he could be my dad because, you know, I know what's going to happen when I get home and have to get, learn this lesson. I'm going to learn the same lesson. So we would walk away and I, I'd say to Craig, I'd go, Craig, Man, your, your dad just so good at teaching that lesson. You think you're still going to get in trouble when you get home? You go, oh yeah, I'm going to get in trouble when we get home. He just acts that way when you're around. You think he's going to tell my daddy? <laughs> you know, because my daddy doesn't know. I don't have to get in trouble. You think there's anything I could do to get him not to tell my dad? Nope, he's going to tell your daddy too. And if he doesn't, I'm going to make sure he does. That's what faithful friends do, right? See, a faithful father teaches and instructs. A faithful father guides. Listen to this, Isaiah 8, 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord have given me are signs and portents in Israel from, uh, from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. In other words, there is the revealing that becomes to the people of God a way in which they can follow and see. And a faithful God remains aware and intentionally uses the influence that he has in that relationship in order to guide others to remain faithful in following the Lord. Sometimes that influence isn't even immediately acknowledged. But the one who is a faithful father faithful father figure, never misses the opportunity to influence for godliness and to guide people by their influence in faithfully following the Lord. The eighth function of a faithful father is a faithful father is a giver of good gifts. Listen to this, Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What a powerful verse, what a powerful imagery that our God is the giver of good gifts. As a matter of fact, every good and perfect gift flows down from Him. That's what the Scripture reminds us. A faithful Father, listen to me, knows what is good. And gives good gifts to those that he loves. He understands that a good gift rightly given in this life demonstrates the greater goodness of the one who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And he gives good gifts to demonstrate the one who is good and the giver, capital G, of good. And he is careful to make sure that any gift that is given or received for those whom he's responsible can actually demonstrate that greater good. There's not a gift given that is good that is absent from demonstrating the one who is good, God himself. And if the gift is not good, a faithful father, out of wisdom, does not allow it to be given because it cannot bring the good and the glory that good gifts should bring. Well, that's a good lesson for us at Christmas, is it not? 
to remember why we give good gifts. Not because we can buy a lot of stuff, but because the one who owns it all has given us the greatest gift of all. The uh, the ninth function of a faithful father is a comprehensive knowledge of need. Matthew 6, 8, do not be like them, he says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's talking about praying like the Pharisees who, who have it all worked out and who have perfect prayers, but they're dead prayers. And, and he says, don't, don't be like that. Your father knows what you need. Ask him. And a faithful father has this knowledge of need and he maintains a concern to remain aware of the needs of his family and those that he's responsible for. There's a a study that takes place of a faithful father to know these things and to learn them. And though it's not perfect or complete, he works to identify and to meet those needs for others. The tenth function of a faithful father is that he disciplines. He disciplines. Maybe the most difficult of any of these. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So a faithful father remains committed to, demonst- uh, committed to discipline as a way of demonstrating God's love. He may not like it or enjoy it, but he values what it produces in that life more than the pain that it immediately causes in that life. And the 11th function of a faithful father is this. He molds his children. He molds his children. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. You see, a faithful father holds a vision for his children's life. And he shapes and molds their life to fulfill that vision. That vision is not based on his own desires. Rather, that vision is revealed to him by God's eternal purposes, by God's will and God's commands that are set forth in his word. And so these are the 11 functions of a faithful father. And we're looking at Jesus as our eternal father today. And so we have to ask the questions, what do, we ha- what do these have to do with Jesus as Messiah? And what I want you to see is that Jesus is everlasting father who leads us in perfect love for eternal glory. And Christians bear a faithful witness of Jesus when we live in His perfect love, when we rejoice in His perfect provision, and when we walk in His perfect rule. You see, the promised Messiah relates as a faithful father in every inclination, in every affection. That's how God feels about you, in other words, and in every action. And so everlasting Father, as the title of this Messiah who will rule, uh, uh, shows not only his grand supremacy, but rather his close personal intimacy. You see, today, what I want you to understand about Jesus as everlasting Father is that he's more close and more intimate to you and for you than you could imagine, than you could conceive, and maybe for some of you today than you believe. You see, any time you preach on fatherhood, you're striking at the heart of one of the greatest evils and sins that Satan has perpetrated against our society and in our culture today. And you cannot speak of one and in some way leave it distant or dismissed from the other. 
For God has given to fathers the title that bears his own name. So how greater for Satan to attack the beliefs and the convictions and the understandings of people than to pervert the very title that God has given to those who will provide for their children and the name he bears for himself, Father. But that's what's happening. That's the way we live today. See, I know not just some of us, but dare I say the vast majority in the room today are dealing with wounds in their life. Feelings of insufficiency, of insecurity, of inadequacy, of not being accepted, yea, even being rejected. Why? Because that's the relationship you had with your earthly father. And somewhere within you, deep down, you believe the same is true of your heavenly father. And so for you to believe that Jesus is everlasting Father in some way is for your good, that He's going to relate to you as an everlasting Father is almost inconceivable for you to trust in because you wouldn't dare do that with the one who you first called Father. And so I know the war that I'm engaging today is no small battle. And I won't pretend to win the battle today. But I hope in the few moments that remain, I can persuade you, beg you, to look at Jesus, the one who came in a manger, died on a cross, and ascended into heaven for you. He's perfect. As your everlasting father. Jesus perfectly demonstrates. Every characteristic. In the way he related to people. What remains distinctive about Jesus. Though he was never an earthly father. Just as earthly father acts in a limited scope of time. So Jesus' work is as his being eternal. The work that Jesus does in you has no shelf life. It doesn't have a best by date. There is no due date when it will expire or be done. It has always been, it is, and it forevermore shall be. And when you look at Jesus today, you're not looking at every other figure of Father, but you're looking at a ruler who will rule As eternal father. It doesn't begin when the temporal ends. But eternity has always been, is, and forevermore shall be. So Jesus, the one who is wise beyond imagination. And mighty beyond comprehension as, as we see. Who knows what is best and has the strength to carry it forth. Do you get that? Wonderful counselor. He knows what is best. He knows what is divine. What is perfect and what is sovereign as mighty God he has the ability and the capacity and the desire and is already engaging the battle to carry it out hear me he is the one who cares most intimately for you and will always act most compassionately to you
The promise of Emmanuel, God with us, is distinct because of the way the one who is God, Jesus, the way he will rule. He's not a disconnected dictator. He's not an out-of-touch legislator. He's not just an heir that's ignorant of the realities of the world but will ascend to the throne regardless. Rather, Jesus, like David, is mighty and he is the conqueror of his enemies. But unlike David, he is greater and he will never cave to his personal pleasures so that you will be used for him but rather to give himself for you. That's what he's already shown. When you stand at the manger and you look at the cross, you see that he did not cave. He lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death. And in that death, we know that he conquered every enemy that can steal from us what we could never keep for ourselves. Just like the great Solomon, he is wise and rich beyond measure. But unlike Solomon, he'll never give his heart away to a competing idol. He'll never sell you out for something that brings him a greater promise. For he showed that he would be faithful at every turn and at every inclination. And when you read the Gospels, you see there are moments, specifically in the Gospel of Luke, three different times when Luke says this, He set his eyes on Jerusalem. You know what he's saying right there? He reached a moment in his life that was a why in the road. He could choose his own path or he could choose the path of the Father. And every time he set his eyes on Jerusalem. Why? Because he was moving to the cross for you. He will not sell you out. He did not sell you out. He's the everlasting Father. Jesus is the faithful Joseph, like his own father on earth, who upon hearing the Father's will, humbled himself and obeyed as God said, Even at great personal sacrifice. Sometimes we overlook this guy named Joseph who was betrothed to Mary when Mary became pregnant as a virgin. And we overlook the impact and the emphasis upon what that would do to him. And Joseph decided that he would put her away quietly. In other words, when the world found out she was pregnant, it was either going to come back bad on him or he was going to have to figure out how to deal with it. And he didn't want to publicly embarrass her. We know Joseph was a good guy because of what he chose to do with Mary when he found out she was pregnant. We know Joseph was a godly man because of what he decided to do when God told him why she was pregnant. Joseph's no hero in the sense of being the Savior. But Jesus is that faithful Joseph who humbled himself and became obedient to become a man, and then as a man, even unto death upon the cross, it says. And he gave himself for us. He is the ruler of all, friends, the ruler of all. And yet his attention is given to each one of you. That's what everlasting Father means. This is the way He rules. He's never inconvenienced. He's never disturbed when one child calls on His name. He's there. He's present. He is fully attentive to you. Jesus Christ is the ultimate. He's the supreme Messiah who rules with all wisdom, power, and authority sovereignly while He's intimately caring for each person individually. Jesus is affectionately called eternal father, not just by the one who named him, but also by those who ruled by him. What greater testimony can there be for the king? 
not for all those who get paid by him, but for all those who live under his rule to say he's faithful, he's good. And that's the testimony of the everlasting father. He's known as the everlasting father to his people because he rules and he reigns as a perfect, loving father. See, friends, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if, if you're not a Christian, if you've not turned from yourself, if you've not turned from your sin and put your trust in Him, I want you to know that if you'll do that today, the one you will receive, the one you will believe and the one you will be trusting will lead you as an everlasting Father. He's got the wisdom and the power to create and rule the universe and to hold it together by the might of His Word. And yet He will sit endlessly and eternally with you and deliver forgiveness and grace and goodness and healing and strength and all that you need at every hour of your need. Because He is the everlasting Father. Might I encourage you today with the three blessings of placing your faith in Jesus. Three blessings. The first blessing is this. It's simply the blessing of a perfect love, of being fatherless no more. I need to be so careful here because this is such a tender, tender issue, as I've already mentioned. But, but I can't leave it unexplored because it's so critical in understanding salvation. You see, the blessing of following Jesus and knowing Him as our everlasting Father is that all who trust in Him are fatherless no more. It's a perfect love. The fatherless syndrome has cursed our nation for generations. My generation began to watch as fathers in mass checked out of their kids' lives. And today's culture has developed to where we simply devalue the home and family. We're getting married at much older ages because many other priorities have come into life. And we're not even marrying anymore. The, the movement uh, among young adults today is don't mess with marriage. It's too much legal mumbo-jumbo. And marriage means everything, so it means nothing. And so the home is being totally destroyed. And in the midst of that, the way that God gave a natural creation for us to demonstrate and to see his heavenly love for us is being completely imploded from the inside out. Some fathers disappear while others remain but stay disconnected. And it leaves emotional wounds that abound, questions of love and security and provision that rage without a father's immediate presence and influence. And it drives people, listen to me, to live in reaction to the void without even knowing why. Not even knowing why. Why do I do this? Why do I act? I hate what I do, but I don't understand why I do it. Living in reaction to the void. And what Jesus as eternal, everlasting Father does is He breaks into the dark void of this absent, of this checked out, dormant fatherhood in our world. And He brings everlasting hope and light for something different, for something that can fill that void for something that can supply that need, for something that can overcome that insecurity or that fear, for something that can make complete what is left feeling incomplete. I told you a number of times that I've been blessed to know the depth of faithful, godly fathers on this earth, more than three generations deep in my family. I had a personal relationship with my great-grandfather until I was 10, 
Um, my grandfather died just about six years ago. Of course, my father is still living. Uh, uncles and brother, brother-in-law, father-in-law, uh, cousins. My, the breadth of godly fathers in my life goes as wide as I can reach and see. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And I never mention that as a, as a point that elevates me, but just as a testimony of thankfulness and gratitude to God and just to see how I've been blessed by that. But let me say this to us today, dads. Not a one of those men was perfect. Not one. Not even close. Not even close. But all were encouraging me to follow Jesus. You see, I mentioned this to say to us today. You're looking, many of us, at whether or not I'm perfect. And you're seeing your imperfections. And you're going, I could never do this. And I'm telling you, God wants to do this through all of your imperfections. Others have earthly fathers they'd love to forget. They'd love to get beyond. But they can't get beyond the negative impact that they made on their life. Listen, friends, at best, every earthly father is imperfect. Best case scenario, imperfect. Jesus will never be imperfect for you. Never. He will never rule your life with anything other than perfection. And because of Jesus, no one has to be left without a faithful father. No one. He knows the void of fatherlessness. How does Jesus know that? He had no earthly father. Jesus had no earthly father, and that was a cloud that hung over his head just as it did Mary and Joseph. But it didn't make him incomplete in any way. Jesus was adopted. Joseph's sure imperfections didn't make him damaged goods that God couldn't love or accept or use for eternal glory. Listen, friends, the narrative of Jesus' birth is the story of fatherlessness being fatherless no more. You see that? That the one who came to us, who was himself fatherless, who was adopted into Joseph's family and given an earthly father on this earth, came with a greater message that all of us who are fatherless in this world are in any measure of imperfection or absenteeism in Jesus, it's no more. Not to any degree, not to any extent. Jesus' everlasting Father makes the story of fatherlessness a point of faithful testimony of the love and of the power of our perfect, faithful, heavenly Father. You see, since the beginning in Genesis 1-1 that confesses eternity, Jesus longs to fill your life with the eternal love of a faithful, everlasting Father. And what you may have missed by the absence of an earthly father, everlasting father will redeem more than you could imagine. And many times over, you will not be left wanting. You will not be left without. Jesus says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. It's in the intimacy of the relationship of a perfect everlasting father that he will most fulfill this promise of not leaving or forsaking you. He brings the influence of faithful father to the reality of our lives and when by faith Jesus becomes your everlasting father hear me you are no longer fatherless 
Not a one of us. Not a one of us. His eternal rule redeems the years on this earth. Listen to me. He redeems the pains and the wounds. I know that's hard to believe. He reverses the heartache by faith. And He reverses to heal the wounds that you endured without a father. He brings people by faith to the heavenly father. So that, hear me, Jesus as everlasting father, by faith, brings people to the heavenly father so that they can know him as Abba, Father. Amen. Can I get a testimony? Right? How beautiful is that? There's no more intimate name for God than Abba, Father. The second blessing is a perfect provision. A perfect provision. Not only a perfect love, friends, but when you put your trust in Jesus... And you follow him by faith. It's not only a perfect love, but it's a perfect provision. Every father role is fulfilled. That's why I wanted to take the time and walk through them today. You go back through them and you look. Every one Jesus perfectly fulfills. When by faith we trust in Jesus, he becomes the perfect father to us. He's the perfect combination of wisdom, of strength, and of provision and compassionate love. He was never an earthly father, but he is the perfect eternal father. And the way that he fulfills those roles and the way he loves and redeems our lives for glory. He is sufficient for us. He is perfect in every way. Listen, friends, no man will ever be the perfect earthly father, but we can influence others and we can show them the one who is perfect, the eternal father. You don't have to be a father to be influential. For men need to learn to be godly before they can learn to be a godly influence. Men, I would just say for us, as one application walking away today, let us model, let us encourage, let us build, teach, train, and pass on godliness to men and to boys and the influence of a father to all in which we come into contact with. The world is desperate for this kind of an influence. And might I tell you, God never intended for an earthly father to perform perfectly. God doesn't need perfect performers to work through them. But a godly earthly father will always be the first to say, I'm not your hope, but Jesus is. But Jesus is. The third blessing. Let me move quickly through this. Not only will Jesus show you a perfect love, not only will he give you a perfect provision, but he will demonstrate a perfect rule. He is a Lord that rules with a father's love. His rule and authority is intimate as a perfect father's. His care is personal. His provision is tailor-made, customized for each person. His kingdom that is not of this world is fully sufficient for this world. He rules the deepest aspects of life with perfect provision and precision and care. His promise is that he will rule all. His invitation is for you to allow him and to trust him to be ruler of all. His glory and his majesty are worthy of all your faith and of all your hope. Trusting Jesus as eternal father means we surrender our life to a faithful Lord who perfectly rules us with a fatherly 
love. That's what it means to become a Christian, to surrender your life. So friends, in the midst of your secret fears, in the midst of your deep insecurities, Jesus wants to shine light and hope of a perfect, everlasting Father into your life today. I want to encourage you to trust Him. He'll be better than you could imagine. Bring more good than you could conceive. Would you trust Him today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when I, when I have to preach a message like this, I do so in trembling and in fear. Not because the one that I talk about will in any way disappoint. But I would never want my words to wrongly represent you. The spirit of those words to infer something other than you. And the reception of those words to be heard in such a way that they couldn't be received. God, thank you that you've given us the promise of an everlasting Father. You've called us to fully surrender our life, all of our trust, all of our hope into Jesus. And you've matched that with a promise that is greater than the demand. A promise of an everlasting Father who's more who's greater, who's bigger, who's more brilliantly glorious, who's more hopeful for us, who's more powerful for us, who's wiser than we could conceive of in every way. He's greater. He's greater. And yet so often these deep wounds, they cause us cause us just to be skeptical, to doubt, to disbelieve. So my prayer today, Lord, in this time is that your grace and your hope in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be greater in the lives of those who are here today and who are hearing this message than their fears and their insecurities that are lying and deceiving. God, be great by your Spirit well up within us and give us a hope that is greater than our fears. Give us a truth that is greater than the lies that Satan sells to us. And give us an understanding that is beyond our own comprehension. And grant us the faith to believe that Jesus is the everlasting Father, worthy of all honor and glory and hope and praise and faith. And may we respond to him today complete surrender and trust as the only one who is worthy.